And we're saying save now to get us away from us. Boy, if we need to be delivered from anything, it's our own flesh, isn't it? God use us in this place. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. And God, we'd have, we'd have never known you if you, hadn't, if you had not sent Jesus. So we want to say thank you for sending him, loving us so much, inviting us into your presence. Dear God, thank you. Now, Father, as we come to your word, we want to ask that by your Holy Spirit, you'll cause us to see things, understand things we've not seen before. And God, that when we go away from here today, we'll be able to truly, honestly say it really has been good to be in the house of the Lord. God, be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing in our series in 1 Corinthians. I want to encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll be looking at that entire chapter today. Pastor Kevin talked with us last week about chapter 8 and the need to serve one another. And in the context of their cultural setting, it was about eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. I know that that idol has, can, and do, and will be nothing. But there are some folks who that food that's been sacrificed to them, if they see me eating that and they eat it, their conscience might be uh, damaged. And so I just choose not to eat it, is what Paul was saying. And, you know, not a whole lot of food sacrificed to idols, though there is some. We were in Hawaii a few years ago, and Goddess Pele had some food sitting there next to a boiling volcano, you know. There is some of that, but, but there are plenty of opportunities that, that we can just lay down, lay down our lives and serve others by uh, denying ourselves rights. Now, what Paul does here in chapter 9 is he wants to talk about this denying rights not because he has to, but he gives it as a gift. And so I'm going to break this chapter into two sections. First off, we're going to talk about rights denied in verses 1 through 18, and then verses 19 through 27 will be service given. He has stepped back from. He has denied himself rights. He stepped out of them, not because he doesn't deserve them, but because he chooses to deny himself of what is rightfully his so that he can step into service given, how he can intentionally, deliberately serve those around him. So let's look first off at rights denied in verses 1 through 18. Verse 1, it says, Am I not free? <laughs> Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am one to you. <laughs> For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. You want proof of my apostleship? Look in the mirror. <laughs> You're it. He deals with them about this quite a bit, especially over into 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 2, he says, You yourselves are our, our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. You, you are proof that we're apostles. And see, there had been some folks who had come in who were taking advantage of the new converts in Corinth. Now Paul is gone, their protector's gone, and so these opportunists have come in and said, hey, here's a way we can make some money. <laughs> we can make some money. We can tell, teach these guys things that they'll want to hear. They're not too concerned about how right it is. But if it, if it make them happy and make them willing to give us money, then we're going to come into Corinth now that Paul's out of the way we can do this. And in order to get you to give me money to convince you you owe me this, we have to start talking bad about Paul because Paul came in here and served just because he wanted to serve the kingdom. So we have to tear him down, and that's what they begin to do. 
He had served, Paul had served, he had given, he had refused pay. He worked a job to help get that start, church started. And now these folks come in there and start demanding. And Paul addresses these guys. Turn over to, turn over to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He addresses this group that have come in and they're teaching ungodly doctrine. They're bad-mouthing the ones that God has used to establish and lead the church. And they're demanding money for all these services rendered, you know. And look at what he says there in 2 Corinthians 11, starting verse 1. He said, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. Look down in verse 4. If someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I didn't burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Now listen, Paul is using sarcasm here, okay? So if you go home this afternoon and think, you know, I'm going to use sarcasm with my spouse. I think I'll lay a little sarcasm on my parents. See how that goes over. I would recommend don't do that. <laughs> well, Paul did it. Just a reminder, you're not Paul, okay? He is really frustrated with the life he has given these people, how he has laid down his rights willingly for a purpose, and now that these opportunists have come in, they're turning their back on the gospel. Paul, Paul had come in there to serve them, not because he was forced to, but because he chose to. And he served them at the cost and expense of others. And you know, while it might be spiritual to think that people in full-time ministry can live on faith and good looks, mortgage companies still come knocking. <laughs> and Robert McNamara was right when he said, brains like hearts go where they are appreciated. I had a preacher in the south end of the state. Somebody walked up to him one time and wanted to bless him. you know. And so he handed him a $10 bill, and he said, if you have enough faith, that $10 bill will turn into a $100 bill. Well, that's just stupid. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, if you have enough faith, this two-by-four won't hurt a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Paul gave up his right to be paid by these people for service to them, not as a requirement for the gospel, but, but because he, he chose to give up his right. And now he's going to address this in three ways. I gave up my right. It's my right to be paid, but I'm going to talk to you about this in three ways. First off, rights, verses 3 through 6. Secondly, just common sense, verse 7. And then thirdly, Scripture, verses 8 through 10. Look at what he does there in verse 3, talking about it's my right. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? J James, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, is Peter. They take their wives along. Now that means that Peter was married, which would eliminate him from leadership in some organizations that require celibacy for leaders, which is ironic. 
But, and it might be easy to think that James and Peter deserve it because they're wonderful. Boy, have you seen the size of their ministry? Have you heard what they're doing? They're just going everywhere, but this is just Paul. This is, this is just Paul. But Peter and James, man, they're really great. And it's, always, it's, it's easier to think about those people over there. They have it all together when, friends, reality is never as exciting as our imagination. That's why pornography is so popular. Because the imagination is just so much better than reality. If James and Peter were to move into town, it wouldn't take long for these people to go, well, that's James and Peter, you know, I don't know that we have to listen to James. He might have a little bit of doubting Jameses in him because he didn't even believe in his own brother, you know, for years. And Peter, well, he kind of blends in with the crowd. He can have that tendency. I don't know about him. And friends, the people... The people to hold in high esteem are the ones that are right next to you just serving the Lord. Well, they're just doing all kinds of things wrong. You know what? They're doing, are they doing their best? Then let's just let's serve the Lord together. Quit being right about everything. We know you're right. We get it. We know. <laughs> but it still won't matter in a thousand years. Let's just, let's just lighten up and just serve. I had my, one of my aunts, one of my, fa my favorite aunts named June Ann. She and her husband pastored a church down in Columbus, Mississippi. They pastored a tent is what they pastored. But anyway... I said, ain't you name, you got to have this guy come preach. I mean, he's amazing. Here I am, 20, 21 years old. I met this guy in Arkansas. He's great. She said, I don't need him coming down here. I said, oh, but you don't understand. He'd be so wonderful. She said, I'd rather have you come preach. What? She said, I know you. I don't know him. And isn't, isn't that true? Oh, if I could just get that real good, important, popular person to pray for me, then everything would be okay. When, friends, it might just be that person sitting right next to you sitting right next to you. I could never ask mom and daddy to pray for me. Yeah, you could. There are a few people that are going to love you more than mom and daddy. And Paul is saying, this, this is just a right. That I deny myself of it does not mean it's not still my right. So first off, verses 3 through 6, it's my right. Secondly, verse 7, it's just common sense. Look there in verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? There's nothing quite as demoralizing for a soldier as not only the threat of giving up his life, but doing it while he's spending his money to buy the gun and the bullets. <laughs> I read a book, there's some army in history, and I tried to find it this week, and I couldn't find it. That required the soldiers to bring their own ammunition. You can imagine how well that war went. You know. <laughs> it's a rather uninspiring foundation for patriotism. Well, Paul uses three analogies here and then a fourth at the end of the chapter that he has used in other writings. And they, they are the soldier and the farmer and the shepherd. And then down in verses 24 through 27, he uses the, the um, athlete. And he uses them as arguments for common sense. The soldier is provided with what he needs to accomplish the task he has been assigned. That's just common sense. Give him what he needs. The second example that he uses is the farmer. He eats, who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? He gets to eat some of the fruit that he's raising. 2 Timothy 2.6, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Now listen what that means. What this means is the, the farmer, the teacher, eats the first fruits. When you're teaching the Bible, you're going to learn so much more than you can ever convey in your teaching. When you're getting ready to teach, you're going to be studying all this stuff, and you're going to learn ten facts, okay? And, and you're, going to, you're going to stand up to deliver those ten facts, and all you're going to be able to get out is seven of them. 
which leaves you with a net gain of, and all the accountants said, three. I had Sam Mokhyber sitting in here in the first service. Nobody said anything, including Sam Mokhyber. Ten minus seven, you're stuck on that one, Sam? What's up with that? <laughs> anyway, he graduated from West Point with a degree in ciphers. But anyway, <laughs> you are going to learn more than you can ever give out. And if you want to learn the Bible, here's how you do it. Teach. <laughs> Teach. Teach that thing. Oh, well, I can't. I can't stand in a pulpit and teach. Okay, don't. But you can teach somewhere. We, 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 have, we have a children's ministry that's always in need of folks that are just going to be willing to say, here, call on me. And friends, you will learn more in getting ready to teach those kids than you will ever be able to convey to them. You will walk out of that class with a net gain. Just teach. You, you, in preparing for it, you'll learn, and then in giving it, you'll be asked questions and challenged, and you'll have to go home and recheck and hone and, and hone in on what God's saying out of that passage. Teach. Well, I don't know if I want to do that. Talk with Jared. He'll get you set up with community groups, how you can be involved in just sharing the Word of God because, friends, the farmer eats the first fruit. He gets more than he can ever convey. And the third analogy he uses, who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? The shepherd drinks the milk, you know. I used to help my grandpa milk the cow. And um, that's back when they still had cows. Now they just have Smiths. But anyway, <laughs> now they have almonds. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, that slipped out. Anyway, um, so I helped my grandpa milk the cow, you know, and we come in from the barn and we go in through, the, they had this little porch on the back of the house there, and grandpa had a, a pitcher and he had cheesecloth, and I'd hold the cheesecloth over the pitcher, and he would take the bucket and pour the milk through the cheesecloth, see, and then he'd put the bucket down and grab the cheesecloth and pour the cream, see, over into another bowl. Well, then he'd pick up the pitcher and he'd take it in the house and he'd go, just some milk, put that in the middle of the table and then he'd come out and punch me with his elbow and hand me a spoon. Here, boy, help yourself. And I like cream. <laughs> Why? Because the shepherd, isn't it reasonable? It's just common sense that the shepherd gets to eat, drink some of the milk. And then... That's the, that's the third example that he gives. It just makes sense. So first off, he deals with our rights, and then secondly is common sense in verse 7. And then thirdly, in verses 8 through 14, he talks about the scriptural principles behind it. Look there in verse 8. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. Folks, Paul states clearly that this Old Testament law constitutes a New Testament principle. Does he not, verse 10, does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake. Verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? You know, he's appealing again to the analogy of the farmer. It's kind of like a potluck. It's kind of like a potluck. When you come to a potluck, I know there are some people's chili you're not going to eat out of their crock pot. I get it. But look at everything else on the table. Look at everything. When you come to a 
potluck, people just bring what they can bring, right? Some people are going to bring food. Some people are going to bring a little teaching. Some people are going to bring some plates. Some people are going to bring forks and spoons and arrange everything. Some people are going to bring a singing. And some people are going to bring money. And friends, when, when everybody brings just what they have to the table, then we can sit down and everyone is going to be blessed. And friends, that's what church is. We just bring what we have. Well, I'll, I'll never be a church planner. They keep talking about planting churches down there at Risen Life. I'll never be a church. You don't have to be a church planner. We, we need church planners. We, we have folks coming to us and saying, we, we want to do this. Okay, we're going to equip you to do it. But friends, in order to send people out, we've got to have somebody that will stay. <laughs> it's just going to be here, and I'm praying for you. Knock yourselves out. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm praying for you, and here's some money. Okay. And friends, as we all do what we can do, then the kingdom advances. And apparently the Corinthians have been more than happy to be robbed of their resources by these false apostles. They're teaching heresy and demanding money for services rendered. And look at Paul's argument in verse 12. If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? We have refused to demand our rights and here these people come in demanding wrongs, and you pay them to do it. We've denied ourselves our rights for a reason. Look at what he says, verse 12. Nevertheless, we have made no use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. We will do anything to prevent obstacles. We'll do anything to make the way clear so that no one stumbles getting to Jesus. We want to make it available to everybody. When I was in high school and college, I promoted some concerts and had this brother that his music, his message has just really impacted my life and still does love him. And so I contacted his organization. What would it be to have this guy come out? And he said, Oh, it'd be great. I'd love to do this. $25,000 a night plus traveling expenses in 1979. That's nearly $100,000 today's money. And I'm going, Well, thank you so much. God bless you. And I appreciate that people need to make a living just all at one night. Can we spread this thing out a little bit? You know, they put an obstacle, that puts an obstacle between the gospel and those who need to hear it. We had a band back in the 80s. Don, I loved them. We still love them. We turn the music up real loud and send the kids across the road to listen to it because it's so loud. But um, <laughs> when my kids could hear it on the other side of the park in Parowan, okay, it's loud enough. You can come home now. Um, <laughs> And so we drove like, what, five, seven hundred miles to go see these people, and they had a brand new album out. It was their album called Taking It to the Streets. It was their Taking It to the Streets album. We're taking it to the streets for $30 a head. We're taking it to the streets. To those who have never heard the gospel for $30 a head, we'll tell you all about the gospel, the free grace of God for $30 a head. And you just go, that's weird. Paul said, I don't want to do anything that will put an obstacle between anyone who needs to hear the gospel and the good news. And then again, look in verse 13. He uses Old Testament practice as justification for New Testament practice. Verse 13, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? Those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. He compares those who are serving... In the Old Testament tabernacle, the ones who take care of the, the labor for cleansing, they, they 
make sure that the candlestick is burning properly and not giving off smoke in that enclosed environment. They make sure that the table of showbread is set properly and the altar of incense, it's, it, it's being maintained. They, they deserve to eat of it. They deserve to be taken care of because of the service they are rendering for the rest of the body. And those priests who are putting the, uh, the sacrifice on the altar, they eat from the altar. And it's right for them to do that. And Paul said, just like it was then, it is the same way now. And friends, I've known so many pastors who were starving to death because their churches refused to pay them a living wage, so they quit and they go sell cars or insurance, you know. There's nothing ignoble about those two things. They're noble professions. But friends, when we, when we make life so difficult for those who just want to serve the kingdom, that they, they say, I can't feed my family on this. You know, you know the Baptist deacon's prayer. Oh, Lord, we know our pastor's supposed to be humble and poor. If you'll keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. Friends, there are too many churches with that kind of an attitude that you cannot know how thankful I am for a fellowship that has placed the gospel, the kingdom, at the top of all things. This church, the reason those guys quit is because they didn't work for a risen life, I can tell you that much. It is a blessing we're in here to work for, for the expression of the kingdom is so generous and gracious and, and looking not only how we can equip people to do ministry in this house, but how can we equip them and send them out to go do ministry somewhere else. We're going to keep paying Kirk and Crystal all the way on the other side of the world because they're serving the kingdom. Boy, what a, what a generous house. And friends, you might not be able to go to Djibouti, but somebody can, and we can support them. What a blessing. Amen? What can we do? We all bring what we have, and we're so thankful for it. And friends, whether you're, whether you're preaching the sermon or teaching the, the community group or the Sunday school class or rocking babies and changing their diapers, change their diapers. There are rainbows in there. There's so, so much humidity in that room. We need you to change your diapers. But friends, let's, we, just, we just serve. We're just all doing this thing, what we can bring. Because in Ephesians 4, it says the whole body joined and held together by every ligament with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul argues it's not because he does not have rights, but because he willingly lays those rights down for the sake of those hearing the gospel. We will endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Look in verse 15. But I've made no use of any of these rights nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. I'm not trying to manipulate you. For I'd rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. If I do it for what I can get out of it, that's no ground for boasting. Necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of grace so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Friends, there's just something about preaching, being called to preach the gospel that makes, makes us willing to engage in it no matter the cost. You know, I remember when I was called to preach, I was about 9, 10 years old, I was listening to Bob Harrington, if you remember him, you're old. Um, listen to Bob Harrington, chaplain of Bourbon Street, on a record. See, you used to have these big round things <laughs> And they would go roundy, roundy, see? And they would play music, you know. And um, listen, Bob Harrington preached a sermon and went out back into the pecan tree in our backyard and told God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. You want me to preach? I'll preach. When I was 16 years old, got right with God. 
I started looking for Brother Bobby LaCroix down the Huntsville Rescue Mission. Man, where can I preach? He said, we got a bunch of drunks down here. They ain't going to hear a word you say, but come on. <laughs> and so I did, and I studied hard, and I gave them everything I had. It's going to take half the day to get all this stuff out, and I was done in five minutes, you know. And <laughs> I was a pop gun ready to, ready to go. Nobody got saved, and I kind of thought, well, Jesus, that's the way this is. I don't know about that. But, you know, you look at folks in the Bible, Jeremiah, all the years that he preached, never had a convert. Never had one. And you think you have it hard in Utah. <laughs> and there came a time when Jeremiah just got tired of it and he quit. Tired of getting punched in the face, tired of getting beat up, tired of being put in stocks, tired of being thrown in jail. And he threw him in a well one time, didn't have much water, but it had mud. About the time he had sunk up to his armpits, somebody threw a rope down there and got him out. He got tired of me, quit the ministry. Quit preaching for about 17 years. And did you know that, this is an old statistic, it's about 10 years old. Those who start in ministry when they're 20 years old, by the time they're 50, 85% of them have left the ministry. Of those who start in ministry when they're 20 years old, 5% of them retire out. They just quit. Because they didn't work at Risen Life, see? And Jeremiah had quit. He said, I just can't take anymore. He was tired, chapter 20, he was tired of being called a laughing stock, and everyone mocks me. It says in verse 8, the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision. Verse 10, all of my close friends watch for, my, for me to fall. They say, denounce him, let us denounce him. Perhaps he will be deceived, then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. And that's his good friends. <laughs> he got a little bit gloomy, which Jeremiah was wont to do. They didn't name one of his books Lamentations, you know. He got a little bit gloomy. Verses 14 and 15, cursed be the day on which I was born. Cursed be the man who brought news to my father, a son is born to you. Well, that's kind of harsh. He's done. But friends, after about 17 years, something like that, in face of all the difficulties, the discouragement, the insult, the being ignored, being hated and beaten, laughed at by his friends, he confessed in chapter 20, verse 9, If I say I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a fire burning shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Held it in all these years, and it just keeps bubbling in there, and I just can't hold it in anymore. I've tried to quit. But friends, the burden of souls and the weight of the gospel weighs so heavily on our spirits. How can we do anything other than preach the gospel? I'm compelled to preach in 9.16, 1 Corinthians 9.16, Necessity is laid on me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Pay me or not, but I'm preaching. And friends, every one of us has that thing, that place, that something inside of us that looks at other people around us and say, I've got to get this out to you. I've got to give this to you. And preaching might not be your, your bag. That's fine. Find your venue and make it happen. If it's nothing more than a cup of tea across the table from someone, find the venue that you can share the gospel that has been burning inside of you all these years. 
When the Church of England looked at George Whitfield and said, yeah, we're withdrawing your ordination, you can't preach anymore, he'd been hanging out with the Methodists, and they didn't like the Methodists because they got out 30 minutes early and beat them to the buffet, see? So <laughs> you've been hanging around and you can't preach for us anymore. And George Whitfield saw those coal miners coming up out of the ground covered with coal dust, and he wasn't worried about the Church of England. He stood on his daddy's gravestone in the graveyard of the church that banned him from preaching, and he preached to those coal miners because it burned him. There's something in there. I've got to get this thing out. And friends, as we find the venue that God has called us to, it gives vent to the gospel and makes it so that people's lives are changed as we give them Jesus. So first off, Paul's saying, it's not because I didn't have the right, my rights I denied. Secondly, he looks at service given. He steps into actively giving service to these people. Look there in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. Now that statement, all things to all people, that's kind of a that's kind of a derogatory statement anymore. You know, it's kind of a bad, well, he's just all things to all people. He's a chameleon, he just blends in, but the, he doesn't mean it in a negative sense here. This is a noble thing that he has done. He recognizes if this is offensive for you, then I just refuse to do it. I just want to tell you about Jesus. If you're okay with it, I'll be okay with it. If I can just tell you about you. If it's not going to matter in a thousand years, then I'm not going to let it keep me today from presenting you the gospel. Now, listen, it's not a license for foolishness. Because look at what he said there in verse 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. He's still bound by the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. But he looks at those... He looks at those who still drinking beer, like Pastor Kevin said last week, he'll drink his beer once a year just to prove he's free. <laughs> and if those that he's called us to, he's called us out of a culture, out of a lifestyle of alcohol, and he's put a burden on our hearts to go back to those people and get them out of there, and if the way he's called you to do it is to go back into the bar with your Bible and have a Bruble study, say, I think that's funny. I heard that this week. Some guy said, I just want to have Bruble studies. Well, bless God. <laughs> okay. Then take your Bible in there, get plenty of prayer covering, and take them the gospel. And friends, if you're with people who can't handle the alcohol, quit talking about how much beer you drink and how much beer you brew. Have some respect for some other people and just minister Jesus to them. Because in a thousand years, what's really going to matter? Oh, you don't eat pork, bacon, and shrimp? I'm really sorry, but I won't eat it. Because in a thousand years, it won't matter. Let me just tell you about Jesus. Oh, you have all the doctrine down? Well, I'm so glad to hear that. Wait, what's Jesus doing to change your life? Friends, that we have the right doctrine. That ain't it. Demons have the right doctrine. It's going to be bad for them in a day or two, right? I'm glad you have the right doctrine. How are you doing with Jesus? And what is Jesus doing to change 
your life. The simple fact of the matter is that the majority of the Christians in the past 2,000 year history of the church would fail a basic orthodoxy test that the average seminary graduate could pass. We need to be careful what we put as touchstones of, 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 of orthodoxy today because if it's not going to matter in a thousand years we've got to be careful that we don't cut brothers and sisters off for it today amen we have to have good doctrine we have to know what the bible says but we've got to be careful that we don't use it as a club against other people look there in verse 24 do you not know and here's his fourth analogy do you not know that in a race all runners compete but only one receives the prize so run that you may obtain it Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I run intentionally and with discipline for the purpose of getting the gospel in the hands of those who need it. And I am not going to be governed by anything, including my own body. There's one version that says, I buffet my body, and somebody said, I buffet my body, let's go get lunch. See, that's letting the body rule. That's letting the body, I'm not going to be controlled, governed by anything, including this temporary shell that I have been given. Friends, as we look at rights denied and service given, Leaders are not those who come in and demand recognition or opportunities or the best parking spots. They're the ones in 1 Corinthians 4 who labor, who bless, who endure, who entreat, who are okay being called the scum of the earth. They're those in 1 Corinthians 16 who devote themselves to the service of the saints. They're the ones in 2 Corinthians 3 who live a life that's an example to be imitated. And in 1 Thessalonians 2, they're as gentle as nursing mothers giving their lives, and they're as exhorting and encouraging and challenging as a father is with his children. Friends, leaders are willing to deny their rights and to serve because they want the gospel implanted and changing lives in those that they minister to. But service is a hard thing to learn. Now listen to me, there's a difference between slavery and service. Service is a hard thing to learn, but we can learn it. We need to be teaching it to our kids. And when you have five kids and four pieces of hard candy, oh, looks like somebody gets to serve today. And see, the problem with that is they find out you have hard candy, their mouths are sour, they're just slobbering all over the place. You know, They have that thing half digested before they even see how many, oh, there are only four of them. It's not somebody has to serve today. Somebody gets to serve today. We get to stand up to be a servant today. And you, well, here's what you do with kids. You just hold it in your hand and you outlast them. You just hold it there and don't let anybody have them until somebody says, okay, I'll serve. <laughs> and see, it's just the love of Jesus, you know, that just exudes from their hearts. It just gives the parents so much joy. You just have to outlast them. Teach them what it means to serve. You're sitting there at the dinner table, everybody holding hands. Okay, who's going to pray for us? I can wait all day. I have a credit card in the car. I can go buy all the food I want. You just wait. You teach them they're going to serve, and it's a blessing to serve. Jesus said there are two people who are going to be great, those who know the Word and teach others, to, who do the Word and teach others to do it, and those who are servants. So you just teach greatness. I'll wait. Your mom and I are going to go start going with the wind. Anybody prays before the war's over, holler. 
We'll come eat. Otherwise, food's getting cold. All you have to do is wait till Jonathan gets hungry. He will pray down fire and glory, baby, once he gets hungry. But friends, it's not about who gets the best seat. It's about who's the servant. Well done, thou good and faithful. James and John had their mommy come to Jesus one day. And mommy said, hey, hey, JC. Those are close to him, see. Said, um, JC, I want to ask you something for my sons. How about if you, they, you let them sit on either side of you when you come to your kingdom? And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 20 that he turned to them and said, see, he didn't even waste his time talking to her. He knew where that question came from. You're, you're straining to hear. I'll go ahead and talk to you. He turned to them and said, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? They said, oh, yeah. He said to him, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left hand is not mine to grant. But it's for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. You're going to drink the cup, whether you know it or not. Matthew 20, 24, the 10 heard about it, and they started getting mad about it. And Jesus goes, all right, family meeting, family meeting. You want to freak one of my kids out? You walk up behind them and say, family meeting, see if their knees buckle. They'll, they'll shake just a little. You know. we, need to, we need to talk about leadership here. We're going to, everybody come around. Got to teach you something real quick. And here's what he taught. Anybody who wants to be great among you, it's got to be your servant. Just like the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for men. It's almost as if he's saying, you want a leadership lesson? Here it is. It's not about the parking spots. It's not about the first pick. It's not about the best seats. It's not about who gets seen the most. It's about giving a life, live for Jesus to the needs of those around us. And friends, I know it gets frustrating. When do I get mine? When do I get recognized for all of my accomplishments? When I, I want to be seen. I want to do this thing. Jesus looks at him in Luke chapter 14 and says, Look, you're invited to a meal. Don't go sit at the head of the table. Because somebody better than you comes in, you're going to be embarrassed because they're going to say, Hey, move, you know. Go in and sit at the foot of the table. Just make yourself there. Make yourself available. Just sit at the foot of the table and then keep your mouth shut. And then the head of the dinner comes in and says, Oh, no, 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 you don't belong there. You come up here. Now you've received honors. You don't have to bang on the doors that God opens for you. You just show up in the room and let him place us at the table where he knows it's the right time for now. And we leave right time for tomorrow to tomorrow. Because whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Let's pray. Father, we live in a society that demands rights. We demand our rights. We set aside places on campuses so that my rights will not be violated. We protest, we petition, we scream on TV and radio, we take out ads because these are my rights. Father, somehow, somehow over in John, this is the right that you've given to us to become children of God. That's our right. Father, please forgive us for allowing this flesh to dominate our lives because of rights. God, thank you for the right to serve you because of Jesus. And God, we live in a society where we don't like serving. Americans don't like to do those jobs. That's why we have those other people. 
God, please forgive us for that arrogance. God, the greatest, you said the greatest among us is going to be the one that serves. Fathers, as Christians, we confess that before our rights, before our demand for leisure, God, we confess your gospel is all that matters. In the declaration of that gospel, dear God, please make us able servants. Help us to declare your message better than we ever have before. And Father, for those who, who preach that Jesus is Lord and salvation and no one other than him, help them preach your message better than they ever have before. God, for the sake of your kingdom. I've been held by the Savior. I've felt fire from above. And I've been down to the the same, a prodigal return, and all my hope is in Jesus, thank God that yesterday's gone, yes, understand the gospel. The gospel is this. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus died. He was buried dead and he rose again on the third day. And that that applies to you and me. That his death was for our sins. That when we receive him and what he did for us, we are completely and fully forgiven. When we say, Jesus, you are my Lord because you are risen from the dead, I will follow you. The Bible says we are saved. 
and that's our heart for you. We had a person in this first service come and say, I want to follow Jesus and I want to be baptized. An older gentleman. Isn't that great? If that's you this morning, let us know, right? We're going to be setting up a baptismal tank now. If you don't know Jesus, let us know. We'd love to help you find him. That's the gospel. Listen, there are a lot of things going on we want to make you aware of. If you have your bulletins, you have the city, be sure and check that out. Megan, stand up if you would. Megan is um, leading a college group, and she's wanting to take some to a gospel meeting out in the Midwest in the summer, and they need money to get there. So here's what they're doing. They have <clears throat> parents' night out, 7th and 14th of April, and um, they're going to babysit your kids. You don't have kids? Just give them money. They don't, they don't care. Hand them, a, hand them a zucchini. They'll babysit that for you. But they need you to sign up. So let her know if you're going to be doing that. It's the 7th and 14th of April. It's a good opportunity for the college. Now, this is one of those weeks, you know, where you've got neighbors that never go to church, but they're going to go next Sunday, right? You know that. Christmas and Easter. This is Easter coming up, right? And so you got neighbors that are looking for a place to go. They don't know where they're going yet, but you do. And so we've made cards for you. And there's a whole bunch of them back there that invite, you, invite your neighbors to the Easter service. So grab a few of these and hand them out to your friends and neighbors and say, we'd love to have you join us for Easter next Sunday. And there's a good Friday service at 630. That's a good one, too. Invite them. Now, also, this Wednesday at 6 o'clock, Pastor Jared and a team are going to be going out and putting some door hangers on doors around this community in this area, just inviting people to our Easter service. If you would like to join in that little outreach effort, 6 o'clock Wednesday night. Join us. We also have Friday night, 630. Did you just announce I that? I just announced that. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. I was, right. yeah. I was talking. But twice as good. I was, yeah. <laughs> I was ignoring you completely. I was asking Sean what time Good Friday service starts on Friday. Anyway... Letty, come on up here. We have Letty Acosta. A lot of you have seen her. She's been here for about a year, a little over. That woman, we, I realized this morning she has triple citizenship. She's a United States citizen. She's a citizen of Mexico, and she's a citizen of the kingdom of God. <laughs> and off, off the citizenship in Mexico, she is able, has and is in the next few days, again, taking the gospel to Cuba. Listen, we need to be praying for that place while the walls are down. We need to get as much in there as we possibly can. And Lady has contacts in there. She knows the pastors in there that are doing the work. And she goes in to equip them and encourage them and just take the gospel in. So we want to pray for her yeah. while she does that this so week. Let's stand together and support a Letty and the gospel that we're going to advance this week. And let's pray for Letty and ourselves. Lord, thank you for calling us to serve you, Jesus. What a privilege to serve King Jesus. Let us be a blessing now in Jesus' name. Help us to share the gospel. I pray for Letty as she goes to Cuba that you'll use her greatly to be an encouragement to the pastors and to share Jesus with those that don't yet know him. God, bring a revival to that great country. God, we just ask your blessing on them and on Letty as she goes. Protect her as she goes. And now us, as we go on mission this week in our various places, Lord, let us be a bright light for you. Let us be brave and bold and speak Jesus. Let us love people and serve them on their terms. God, thank you for the great privilege of serving you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Go in his name.